We're starting a new Sunday school today on regeneration. We're following this book. It's a 13-week study. This book, I think I'm teaching Sheldon. Who else is teaching? Victor? Victor. Someone else. There's a fourth person. Maybe Devin? So this week, we'll kind of do an introduction to the whole class, but then we'll also um, get into the first chapter. Um, but there'll be a decent amount of introduction, so we kind of have our terms defined, and we kind of know what's, what's going on. So uh, I'm going to pray for us, and we'll get started. Father, thank you for um, just bringing us together this morning. Um, we pray that you'd be with us in this time as we reflect and, and study and discuss this idea of regeneration, this new birth that you've given to us. We pray that um, conversation would be um, glorifying to you uh, and that my words would be clear and reflect the truth of what you have in your word for us. We thank you for, again, this time, and we pray that you'd be with us now. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're talking about regeneration for 13 weeks. And what this ultimately is about is the study of, we're studying salvation. So what is salvation? So I think it's important before we go into talking about regeneration specifically as part of our salvation, that we make sure that we're defining our terms. Because um, there's a lot of disagreement um, within the church about what happens, what salvation is. Maybe there's less disagreement about that. But there is disagreement about who is the actor in salvation? Uh, there's uh, what it does for us. Um, there's some disagreement about that. Um, and as we look through church history, we see lots of opportunities where we've the church has kind of fallen to one ditch or another in terms of our beliefs about salvation. So salvation, what is it? It's eternal spiritual deliverance, taking us from death to life, from a life of sin that defined us to um, Christ's righteousness that gets applied to us, um, from, from being objects of God's wrath to being accepted into his family, into his kingdom. Into, so acceptance. Um, there's two components, main components to salvation. The first component is justification, and that's something that happens outside of us. So justification is a once-for-all declaration that our sins, that we are righteous before God, and we're no longer guilty for our sin because of Christ and what he's done for us. So that's justification. So God justifies us. Our salvation, part of that is God justifies us. He pardons all of our sin because of what Christ has done. The other part of that. And so that's an external kind of reality. The reality of justification is an external thing for us, external to us, something that God did and God declares us righteous. The other part of salvation, main part of salvation, is regeneration or the new birth. And that's something that happens internally. So God doesn't just pardon our sin and we're good and then we kind of just walk around in the same nature. He also changes our nature. So he regenerates our hearts. He imparts, the, the author says, imparts new life and initiates real spiritual growth and ongoing change in our lives. So that's the kind of the two aspects. When we talk about salvation, we're talking about our legal standing with God, what he has done for us in through Christ, he has justified us. He has counted our, taken our sins away um, and not counted. So he's taken away his wrath, that we were the objects of his wrath. And now we are not the objects of his wrath. But then he doesn't leave us there with this external reality, but he brings in an internal reality and actually changes us so that we walk in a way that gives him glory. And that would be the idea of sanctification, which we did a whole class on, I think last year or the year before, where God gives us the ability to believe 
He gives us faith. He, he gives us grace. And he gives us the ability to believe, to make that declaration of our belief. But then he also changes our desires and he changes our nature. So that even though we still sin, we aren't defined by our sin. And our sin, um, we feel guilty for our sin. Uh, and um, we desire to honor God with our lives. So we desire to follow God. And we have the ability to, in some sense, um, follow what God has told us to do. It won't be perfect until we're glorified, but in this life, regeneration is this changing of our nature that allows us to now um, follow God. Uh, and so I'm going to read Ezekiel 36, 22 through 27. So Ezekiel's writing um, at kind of the time of the, the Babylonian um, capture. So Israel has been dispersed. They're um, slaves in Babylon. And he's writing towards the end of his book. He's talking or his, his um, prophecy. And he's prophesying about this future new covenant that is going to be a reality for God's people. And so 36, um, 22 through 27. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So Ezekiel is foretelling of this new covenant that's going to be occurring that that God is going to to um, to do something he's going to do and he talks about God is saying that he is going to in essence do a heart transplant on his people he's going to take out our heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh why to get because he wants to he's going to um, what does it say in uh, 22. For his glory, in essence. So he's going to do this regeneration activity for his glory. And he also says that it is for us so that we will, uh, he's going to give his spirit so that we will walk in his statutes and be careful to obey his rules. So that's this idea of regeneration. It was foretold in the Old Testament. It's brought to fruition in the New so that's the, the first question is, what is regeneration? So we're kind of defining our terms. The second is, who does it? And this has been an area of controversy throughout church history. So we would say that God does this act. From start to finish, God does this. And so this is the idea of, um, or the, the debate of monergism versus synergism. So monergism is this idea that God is the actor in our salvation from start to finish. And most would agree that God is the actor in justification um, because that's happening external to us. But there's disagreement, more disagreement about who acts in our regeneration, in our um, believing. So monergism would say that God does it from start to finish. And the other is synergism, which says that we have some role in our salvation that there's some part of us that chooses to follow God, that chooses to be saved. And so over the course of history, and the, the author mentions this and talking about the Reformation was kind of a 
a reclaiming of this idea of monergism. But the, the idea of synergism has a few different flavors. So some of the different flavors that you see, um, and he talks about Rome. So the Roman church um, would believe that uh, salvation is initiated by God, but that we have to do things along the way in order to keep our salvation up. So we have to uh, be baptized. We have to do different things. We have to give penance when we sin. We have to do things. So it's a works-based belief system. And so I don't want to say that what we believe is not that our works don't, is, is that our works don't matter because our works do matter. God says in Ezekiel, he says, why am I doing this heart transplant? I'm doing it so that you'll follow my statutes. So it's right and good for Christians to do good works. And we're able to do good works because of what God has done for us. But the Roman system would say that we participate in that salvation, that our works actually bring about in some way our salvation. Some other things that have come up over the course of, the, of church history, the idea of Pelagianism. And this is the idea that man is not born in a sinful state. And we'll talk about this a little bit later when we talk about why we need regeneration. But Pelagius taught that we were born as a blank slate, that we did not inherit the sin of Adam. And that so because of that, we can choose or not choose God. We can choose completely choose to be saved. Our free will is not bound by our sin because we're born not in sin. That was uh, 400s BC, something like that, was a heresy. So that's a, that's a straight up heresy. So if you ever encounter someone that teaches that, run away. That's not something that, that Orthodox Christians would believe is, is truth and haven't for 1,800 years, 1,700 years since that came out. What is more common in church in churches today is this idea of semi-Pelagianism, which is not that men are born sinless, but that we're not all the way sinful. We we still have there's something in us that allows us to be able to participate in our salvation, that allows us to say, yeah, I could I could uh, I have this offer of the gospel that's presented to me. And I could say no, or I could say yes. So our sin nature, they don't deny a sin nature. That would be heretical. But they do say that you, there's something in you that allowed, there's some good in you that allows you to make a positive decision um, in your salvation. Um, and so uh, one of the things, one of the big kind of differentiators, especially um, around the uh, the, the Reformation is this idea of, and this is kind of a flavor of semi-Pelagianism, is Arminianism. So Arminius um, kind of came after Calvin, uh, and he um, pretty much said, well, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, can persuade somebody to, um, to accept Christ but that decision is ultimately made by the free will of the person. So there's this idea that there's, again, there's something in us that allows us to decide and be and participate in our salvation. And so we would reject that as a church, our confession and our belief system would reject the idea that we participate in our salvation. So we would teach from the pulpit if it came up, Monergism. We would teach that God, <clears throat> God does salvation from start to finish. And any participation that we might feel we have is just kind of the human sense of what's going on. So we, there might be a time where we made a decision to follow Christ, but that was because God did work in our heart. God did this heart transplant thing that Ezekiel talks about. But so we, we would teach that we can't choose to follow Christ apart from the work of the Spirit, even though in, in our kind of human experience, there is a point in time where, you know, we might make a decision. And everybody has different stories about that. Some say, 
you know, I was in the the back alley of a bar and, you know, I, and I made a decision and, and something happened and I made a decision to follow Christ. Um, but a lot of us don't have like a point in time. I don't have a point in time where I was like, I used to be uh, unsaved and this day and time and hour in this location, I became a Christian. I don't, when I look back, I don't have that particular point in time, even though I have a time where I publicly professed um, my following Christ in baptism, I didn't have a, I don't have like that point in time thing. So, so we would say that God does salvation, justification, and the giving of the new birth, this new heart that he gives us, he does it from start to finish. And we believe that because of this idea that we believe of total depravity. And this, this is one of the things that came out of the Reformation and the debate between Calvinism and Arminianism is that we, that we, were, we were born in Adam and Adam, we um, have Adam's sin. So we're born with a sin nature. So from conception, Psalms 51, I think, talks about that. From conception, we're born in iniquity. So our sin nature is inherent in us from the moment of conception um, until we are saved, we, we inherit a sin nature. And that's the idea of total depravity. So we're unable to make a decision contrary to our nature. So we would say that um, even if we were offered the gospel, because of our sin nature, if, we were, if, we, if the spirit did not um, do this heart transplant to us, we would not choose to follow Christ. It would be against our nature. It would be against our will. So we have free will, but it is limited by our nature. And so God has to change our hearts in order for us to, um, to be saved. So this is not utter depravity. This is, to- we say total depravity. So it's not that we're the worst we could ever possibly be. God restrains evil in the world even um, by people that are not Christians. Um, but we would say total depravity, that our total, our, our, our will is totally um, limited to a sin nature apart from the supernatural work of God in this regeneration. So we would say God does all the work. He credits the righteousness to us by grace. He gives us a new heart and an ability to respond positively to the gospel, and then he indwells us with the Spirit, just like it says in Ezekiel. And we receive this by faith alone, and that faith is also a gift from God. So we can't profess faith in Christ until we have this regeneration um, thing happen to us. And Ephesians 2, 9 and 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this covers this idea of our salvation being God's work. It's a gift from God, and it's not a result of works. So that would push back against kind of the Rome's, Rome's view of works-based salvation and other people's view of works-based salvation. But what is it for? It's so that we can um, walk in good works that God prepared for us beforehand. Thoughts so far? Yeah. So uh, upon being saved and a, and a change in your nature or your heart, um, would it be fair to say that there are now two natures in one person? Two natures in one person. Um, I would say, I don't know. Help me. Help me, y'all. Mm-hmm. I guess I would say there is, in a sense, there's two natures, but one doesn't is not... Yeah, we're a new creature, but there's there's still the remaining, um, you might say, the kind of remaining stains of our of our sin. So like we don't 
we don't believe in sinless perfection. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but we are new. We are new creatures. Uh, we are awaiting our glorification. We will. We will be completely. Um, we will be perfect. We will o- obey perfectly in in the new heavens and new earth. But I not. would just hate to say nature because <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of is a defi- defining characteristic. So the Christian's nature is no longer a sin nature because we're a new creation, but we still have vestiges of sin mm-hmm. in our life. And Paul talks about this in Romans 6. Question. I guess part of what we'd have to define what we mean by nature. Yeah. <laughs> is it, I mean, is it what we're drawn to? Is it our natural state? Is it, I mean, yeah. We'd have to talk about that. But related to Kevin's uh, question, I guess I think it was, and you might be wrong, but it was kind of a spiritual and a material component. The spiritual has been adjusted. The material, I'm still in the body I was born with. The mm-hmm. body I was born in sin, so I'm assuming there's still, there's still things that I haven't been perfected or I haven't been cleaned in any yeah. body, so there's remnants and things that I'm, they're still going to impact me yeah so there's there it's almost as though the, i guess that might even be where some people get the idea of like an angel and a devil on your shoulder or <laughs> you know paul says he keeps doing the things he doesn't want to do yeah. so there's some type of inner conflict and exactly how i would define it i'm not sure mm-hmm. but i think it hints at what kevin's trying to talk about yeah or asking about and I think to, to that point, the conflict wasn't there before we were saved. So before this new birth, this heart transplant, there was no conflict because we desired sin. Our, our, our nature, that was our only nature. That was our only disposition. That's why we teach this idea that we can't, we can't participate in our salvation because we would never choose that before our heart is changed, we would never choose God. It would never happen, yes. So I think the difference um, is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So for those that are unregenerate, there's no Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. guiding them. I mean, the fact that we are still, still sinful creatures, we're still corrupted by sin, that hasn't changed yet. Mm-hmm. What has changed is the presence of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. guiding us yep. and teaching us. And, and creating a conflict when there wasn't one because we would just desire sin. And now we have the Spirit in us that's saying, no, I've written my law on your heart. I want you to follow me and to do good and to honor me. And th- it, it creates the conflict that Paul talks about. And Yes. Yes. Thinking about two natures is not really true spirit because Adam, before they eat them food, they were perfectly spirit of God mm-hmm. in that one. And when the Satan tempted, they eat that sin into them. So that sin is really the spirit. Yeah. And then by the Jesus, when Jesus came, so we have that true spirit. When one say do, one say don't do, as we grow up. Um, but God is so awesome that He helped us all through it. You know, even though we haven't received when we haven't received Jesus, mm-hmm. but if we play, trust God, still God will help us. Mm-hmm. Because I know that when I grew up as a Muslim, I believe God, but I still I would lie, I would do this. Still, mm-hmm. I was perfect. But when what made me to seek God? And that was God called, but God called, but what led me to seek when the changes came to my country and home in Uruguay, and it was Antichrist in the name of God. He went there and then he killed people. Then I asked God to show me the truth about Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's why when I seek God, and God took me through so many things, and finally he called me and says, asked people to seek Jesus. and. When I received Jesus at the beginning, I still I start feeling all the changes you said from inside. It wasn't me anymore. Uh, it, it gradually mm-hmm. the process. And uh, until I totally 
surrender to him because Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. Mm -hmm. And he said, Father, and I become it with you then. I will do it. In Lord, you will have trouble. In me, you will not have. So that, that means he's going to take us through. Because when I give that surrender to him on the way, then I give up. I, I give up trying. I knew I have to do things, but I know he took me. Yeah. Like whenever I want to say lie, Holy Spirit stopped me. Then I wouldn't lie. I said, oh, I'm not here. Or I would change it. I wouldn't lie. I wouldn't say, Holy Spirit would guide me. Mm -hmm. So that's why still, you know, as the moment I want to do something wrong, then the Lord that is in me, he has stopped me and redirect my direction. Yeah. So that I go. So but that's why I said, by the time Lord is coming, all of us that we are seeking him and we have, we have him in us and God give us us, by the time we come, we will be just like him when he comes. Mm -hmm. So, and his coming is so soon and I feel more, I see more people becoming and going toward that one is toward the Lord. Yeah. Victor and Josh. You said something earlier about influence. Mm -hmm. In Romans 7, when Paul gets into all this about the, what we call the two natures, or, yeah. uh, he speaks of them as laws. The law of sin, which is under death, and then he has another law. Mm -hmm. when, he, when he was saved, there's another law that entered in, the law of the Spirit. And I, I, you know, I have no qualms with someone calling me two natures. I, I do that, but I think you know, we're going to get pointed to it when we're saying, we're really, what Paul is trying to say is, there's two influences upon my person. Yep. And one is and, fading away and one right. is getting stronger, right? Before I was saved, I only had one influence upon my person. Yep. And that was the law of sin unto death. And it was constantly you're, uh, uh, steering me to do the things that were wrong, yep. that was against God. And, and we agreed with it. Yeah. good things, I was still doing it for an, uh, a sinful purpose, mm -hmm. an alternative purpose, or something of that. But once the Spirit came in, something revived in me, something yeah. began to hit my, influence me another in another direction. Mm -hmm. And so we talk about which which nature or which spirit, which side of you are you, you going to feed? Yeah. You know, so he said, feed the good, good that, that good influence. You know, getting the word of God, doing the spirit mm -hmm. and support and all that. But realize when his struggle down there, he's at, you're still going to struggle. Yeah. Because that old influence is still there, still trying to drag you back into the other direction. And that's our struggle. It's actually a sign of being saved because it's yeah. a struggle until uh, Christ comes and redeems us. And it makes us want him more because mm. we don't like it. Yeah. That's that's great. That's perfect. Josh, did you have something? Yeah, I just this reminds me of Steve Green, as a lot of stuff does. But uh, the song "Enter In," there's just this one verse I wanted to read. It says, "The conflict still continues, raging deep within my soul. The spirit wars against my flesh and the struggle for control. My only hope is full surrender. So with each borrowed breath, I inhale the spirit's will over me and die to deeper death." Hmm. Awesome. That's wonderful. So the last part of salvation is who gets it? Who is who gets salvation? And so um, we would say that those who are who God acts on. Um, Paul in Romans talks about predestination that there's a that, that that God has has His people and He acts on them and He calls them. And one of the things that um, we talk about is is um, the difference between a call, so believe in the gospel, believe in Jesus and you will be saved, which is a general call that we see, um, you know, throughout Acts. There's, there's, but um, we also think of this term called effectual call. Um, and so this idea that the call is effective. So you can get on a, you could go downtown with a microphone and yell, you know, the gospel out. That's a general call, um, but the effectual call is what God does. God calls people, and that call is an a hundred percent effective call. Um, the Westminster Catechism says um, of this: 
Effectual calling is a work of God's almighty power and grace, whereby out of his free and special love to his elect, and from nothing in them moving him thereunto, he doth in his acceptable time in his accepted time invite and draw them to Jesus Christ by his word and spirit, savingly enlightening their minds, renewing and powerfully determining their wills, so as they all uh, so as they, although in themselves dead in sin, are hereby made willing and able to freely answer the call and to accept the embrace uh, accept and embrace the grace offered and conveyed therein. So this idea of this call that God makes to our to his people. Um, and then our confession, chapter 10 paragraph 1 says, though those whom God hath predestinated into life, he also he is pleased in his appointed, and accepted time effectually to call by his word and spirit out of the state of sin and death into which they were are by nature to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and saving to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone and giving them a heart of flesh from Ezekiel, renewing their wills and by his almighty power determining that uh, determining them to do that which is good and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ, yet so as they come most freely, being made willing by his grace. So this idea of regeneration embedded in the Westminster uh, Catechism and our confession is this start to finish. God does this, and we willingly participate, and we willingly accept, and we willingly walk forward um, because of what has happened to our hearts. Our hearts have been changed um, at the fundamental level. So why are we studying regeneration? I've got a few things that I wrote down. Um, church history tells us we need to have this straight. We've, we've seen in church history different over different times where we have gotten this wrong as a church, as God's people, we've gotten things wrong. We've even dipped into heresy in some cases and that has been corrected. But church history tells us that we've got to get this right, and we've got to remind ourselves of this. So this is, there's ways that this is um, important. Christians need reminding not just about justification, our standing before God, but also about this idea of regeneration. So what spurs us to do good works? What spurs us to pursue sanctification is our desire to honor God, our desire to follow what he's told us to do, and that is that process of regeneration that happens. So it's not a once a once in point in time thing, but this change in heart is is there's a purpose for it. It's not just justification, but this regeneration means that we walk differently in this world. That we do we we make different decisions than people that are not saved. And that process of sanctification that we're walking through now is different for everybody. We talked about that in the class, but it is part of the Christian life. So overemphasis on one, on justification and our standing before God can lead to us not emphasizing the fact that God has called us to live a holy life. And it's not wrong to say that. It's not legalism to say that. God has called us to live a life that's honoring to him. We couldn't do it before he changed our hearts, but now we can do it imperfectly until we, we are glorified, but he's called us to live holy lives, and we should do that. And regeneration and reminding ourselves about what he has done, he's, pre he's prepared us for that. Um, again, so we can walk in God's ways and give him glory. And ultimately, it should spur us to worship. Understand Having an understanding and, and talking about regeneration should get us on our knees in worshiping this God that has done an amazing supernatural thing in our own lives, like individually in our lives. That should spur us to worship. So uh, we spent a lot of time on introduction, but hopefully that we can do quick reminders going forward. Um, the chapter, the first chapter in the book talks about the necessity of the new birth. And we've already kind of covered a lot of this, but um, I'm just going to, the, the one passage that clearly 
um, addresses this idea of the new birth is John 3, really the whole chapter, but certainly um, John 3, 1 through 13, this idea that Nicodemus comes to him. So I want to read, the, or does anyone want to read that? John 3, verses 1 through 13. I'll do it. All right. Now there was, excuse me, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? <clears throat> no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Fourteen? Uh, no. Okay. Good. One through thirteen is good. So this is Nicodemus coming to Jesus, seeking him out. A few things that are important to note about this. It says he was a Pharisee and he was a ruler of the Jews. So this is a man of authority, of high status, and he was a Pharisee, which meant he was an expert, probably knew the Old Testament from memory, certainly was well-read. Um, he comes to Jesus at night, which means he was wanting to do it in secret. He wanted to go see, he, he was curious about this Jesus guy, but he wanted to also protect his reputation. So he goes at night to talk to Jesus and Jesus lays out how to enter the kingdom of God. And a few things that he talks about um, that kind of parallel, even when we talked about uh, Ezekiel, Ezekiel talks about cleansing with water and talks about giving the spirit. God is going to cleanse his people with water and he's going to give them the spirit. And it's safe to say that Nicodemus probably was aware, at least aware, probably had uh, Ezekiel either memorized or he knew very well the, that part of, of uh, the scripture. Um, but still, he doesn't get it. So Jesus is even using the terminology that he might even be familiar with, this idea of water and spirit. So what we see here when Jesus lays out this idea of this new birth occurring is we see that there's a part of there's cleansing that needs to occur. And Nicodemus is, I mean, they're known, the Pharisees were known for being very self-righteous. So he's saying, Actually, you're not. You think you're self-righteous, or you think you're righteous, but you're not. And in order for you to receive the new birth, you have to be, God has to cleanse you. So there's this, this idea of water. Some people would say that this is the, the water of baptism, um, or would kind of say that Jesus is talking about Christian baptism. That's probably not what's happening. He's probably referring to this idea of cleansing um, from the Old Testament rituals, um, and, and certainly... Um, in Ezekiel, it talks about this idea of cleansing with water. So there's a need for cleansing and there's a need for receiving the spirit. So this is, these Pharisees were self-righteous and they were keeping law. They were keeping laws that they even made for themselves that weren't even God's laws to be righteous. And he's saying, no, that's not enough. 
you actually still need to be cleansed and and something outside of you has to do something to you. The spirit has to come. So you can't just keep these rules and think that that's going to be okay. This new birth is supernatural. It's something that happens to you and not something that you do. So the author goes through four reasons why this new birth is necessary. He says, uh, and he kind of walks through, it's not in it's not in order of the verses, but he walks through four different reasons why it's necessary. First, he says that it is necessary because that which is born of the flesh is flesh. So this is the idea that, um, and that's from verse six, that which is truly, I truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So this is the idea that, Outside of this new birth that would happen to us, we are in our fleshly nature. We're dead in sin. This goes back to this idea of total depravity. Flesh here is used to mean this fallen nature, this depravity, this sinfulness that defines us. And Jesus is saying, You're you don't you you can't have this new birth that would happen to you. It is is going to happen to you. It's going to change this fleshly nature to something else. Um, and he talks about this in John six. Um, I'll read it really quickly. Sixty. Um, so he, Jesus is teaching in John six, and he. I think this is after the time where a bunch of people asked him for miracles, and he and he doesn't give it to them. So there's some people leave. It says when many when many of the disciples heard it, they said. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense to this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who, those, and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So this contrast between flesh and spirit. So the new birth is, is necessary because we are in our flesh hopeless and the spirit needs to come to change our nature. Um, the second is um, without this new birth, we can't see the kingdom of God. And this idea of sight is not physically see with our eyes, but the eyes of our soul. We will not experience, we will not be, we will not enter into the kingdom of God unless this new birth takes place. The third thing, um, okay, sorry, I got, um, so I have a quote from Calvin from his commentary on this passage. And this is from John 3, 3, where he says, it, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Um, Calvin says, to see the kingdom of God is of the same meaning as to enter into the kingdom of God, as we shall see immediately perceived from the context. But they are mistaken who suppose that the kingdom of God means heaven. So this is not necessarily talking about heaven, because we don't enter heaven as soon as we're, we receive the new birth. For rather... It means the spiritual life, which is begun by faith in this world and gradually increases every day according to the continued progress of faith. So the meaning is that no man can truly be united to the church, which is the invisible church, so as to be reckoned among the children of God unless he has been previously renewed. So this idea of the new birth occurring in somebody allows them entry into the kingdom of God. And that's not... That doesn't mean we get to go to heaven when we die. You know, growing up, that was the big thing. You get saved so that you can go to heaven. And that's not what this verse is talking about. This, this kingdom of God is this spiritual kingdom that is open to us, this invisible church that we're now part of um, in on this side of heaven. <clears throat> the third uh, reason why the new birth is necessary, according to the author, is to dispel our spiritual darkness. So Nicodemus walks in, he's self, he's a ruler of the Jews, he's a Pharisee, um, 
he's got characteristics of that. And he asks these questions that are pretty indicates that he doesn't know what he doesn't know what's, what Jesus is talking about. Um, and this highlights this idea that without a supernatural work in our hearts, we're not going to understand and accept the gospel. So he talks, um, how can a man be born when he, when he is old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? For a smart guy that's a ruler of the Jews, that's a pretty dumb question because <laughs> that's obviously not physically possible. And so instead of trying to understand or try to like really get into this, he, he has a very... A very kind of dumb response like this that that's obviously not what I'm talking about why aren't you thinking about what God has promised uh, in his prophecies in, in the Old Testament how can these things be how can this happen that's what he says um, so this guy had a deep understanding of the Pentateuch he had a deep understanding of what the prophet said and he he had this deep understanding but he didn't get it and this outlines another point of the of this new birth is that it's not an intellectual ascent this is not intellectual this requires a change in our hearts in order for us to understand so he had everything he needed so it's not really intelligence it's more a lack of sight just like jesus says you'll see the kingdom it's a lack of sight so romans 8 7 and 8 for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And second, uh, 1 Corinthians 2 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. Like asking a dumb question about going into your mother's womb again, right? That's folly. Um, he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Because So this is the idea that this new birth changes our ability to understand what God is doing. And it's it's a supernatural thing. It's not something that we can study up and get the right answers on the test for. And this guy was the quintessential example of the per, of a person in this part this time and peer, this time and place that would have known everything that God had revealed to that point. And he's sitting here with the son of God asking a dumb question because it's folly to people that aren't spiritually enlightened. The spirit comes to us and it allows us to understand what's happening. So the third reason why it's necessary, the new birth is necessary is to help dispel our spiritual darkness. Um, the fourth is the fourth and final one. Fallen people are powerless to recover themselves from their fallen state. So again, this fourth point is something we've kind of been talking about throughout this whole class. The new birth is not in our hands like our physical birth wasn't in our hands. So the reason, so one of the reasons I would, I would kind of think why we call it a new birth or why it's revealed to us as a new birth, one of the parts of that is like, is we're changed. So a birth is happening. Something, something about us has fundamentally changed. Um, but also that this new birth is the same as our own physical birth. We had no say in it. It wasn't part of our plan. We didn't plan to be born to our parents. Like it, it is something that happened to us. Our physical birth happened to us and this new birth happens to us. So it's something that we don't do um, it's impossible for us to do in our fallen nature. Um, and we have to fight against this. Like our culture says that that's not how uh, things are in this world. Our culture says we can do whatever we want. You know, whatever your dreams are, you can, you can accomplish them. And that has leaked into a lot of teaching. There's a lot of man-centered teaching that downplays the truth of our fallen nature. Well, you're not that bad. You don't, you're, 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 you're okay. Um, but this is the idea that we are that bad and we can't choose God and God has to affect us for us. God has to give us his spirit for us to experience this salvation that we're talking about. And our evangelism should follow this model. So the author talks about that a decent amount. I've got one last quote. Uh, well, I guess two quotes. There's, another, there's a book that I think was, it was really helpful um, in this. And this is uh, Redemption Accomplished and Applied by John Murray. 
just there's a picture uh, show and tell i'm a teacher so here's a show and tell thing um it was really good and i've got a longer quote i kind of pieced it together from a few different um parts but he has a chapter on regeneration so he starts by talking about um redemption so this is redemption accomplished justification the redemption was accomplished justification and applied there's an application of this redemption to us as humans and so he walks through depravity um, he talks about effectual calling he talks about regeneration and then he talks about kind of holy living towards the end um, i haven't made it through the whole book at any one given time but i've started it at different times and i think it's a really uh, what i've read is very helpful and certainly the chapter on regeneration was so he says how can a person who is dead in trespasses and sins whose mind is enmity against god and who cannot do that which is well pleasing to god answer a call to the fellowship of Christ. The answer to this question is that the believing and loving response which the calling requires is a moral and spiritual impossibility on the part of one who is dead in trespasses and sins. God's call, since it is effectual, carries with it the operative grace whereby the person called is enabled to answer the call and to embrace Jesus Christ as he is freely offered in the gospel. God's grace reaches down to the lowest depths of our need and meets all the exigencies. I had to look that one up. It's uh, urgent need or demands of this moral and spiritual impossibility, which in here, which inheres in our depravity and inability. And that grace is the grace of regeneration. So this, this kind of summary of what we're talking about, this idea that God is the actor it's an impossibility for us to for, for this to happen in and of ourselves and so that should spur us to worship that should spur us to a deep thankfulness a deep gratitude for what god has done that he has supernaturally acted in this world he has supernaturally acted in providing our justification but he didn't leave us there he actually came into our our existence and he changed our hearts. He gave us a heart transplant and he gave us new desires and new power and new abilities to honor him in the way that we live our lives until we're in glory. And that is amazing, I think. And there's some head nods, so I think other people think it's amazing too. Um, I want to end, I know we're a couple minutes over, but I want to end on um, by reading this from the Valley of Vision. I don't know if, if y'all are familiar with this, but Valley of Vision is Puritan kind of prayers. And there's one on regeneration. So I thought I'd read it to kind of close us out. Uh, so, O God of the highest heavens, occupy the throne of my heart. Take full possession and reign supreme. Lay low every rebel lust. Let no vile passion resist thy holy war. Manifest thy mighty power and make me thine forever. Thou art worthy to be praised and with my every breath, loved with my every faculty of soul, served with every act of my life. Thou hast loved me, espoused me, revived me, purchased, washed, favored, clothed, and adorned me. When I was worthless, vile, soiled, and polluted, I was dead in inequities, having no eyes to see thee, no ears to hear thee, no taste to relish thy joys, no intelligence to know thee, but thy spirit has quickened me, has brought me into a new world as a new creature, has given me spiritual perception, has opened to me thy word as light and guide and solace and joy. Thy presence is to me a treasure of unending peace. No provocation can part me from thy sympathy, for thou hast drawn me with cords of love and dost forgive me daily, hourly. Oh, help me then to walk worthy of thy love, of my hopes and my vocation. Keep me, for I cannot keep myself. Protect me, that no evil befall me. Let me lay aside every sin admired of many. Help me to walk by thy side, lean on thy arm, hold converse with thee, that henceforth I may be salt of the earth and a blessing to all. And all God's people say amen. <laughs> um, any any <clears throat> final thoughts before we I close us in prayer?
Yeah. The difference that you were drawing earlier about the salvation, where it's kind of like I didn't know, it just kind of there was no like punctuary moment. Yeah, yeah. Him, right. Um, I I think really they're 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 the same thing though because what I believe is that our our um, testimony is living. Yeah. And so it's like we we should look back to one specific time, mm-hmm. right? It's well, you know, he's he's revealing the the, the depths of my lostness, you know, uh, in in ways I would have never guessed. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I yeah I so I think I've said this before. I grew up in a kind of a context where it was a big deal to have a point in time because it was very big on this decision, uh, you know, kind of an Arminian sort of flavor and I think sometimes that can be good and there's nothing wrong with having this was when God saved me this time place whatever when I fully experienced this new birth like I knew it happened I was different before this happened right but sometimes that can lead to a little bit of kind of well this was this was when I made the decision it's it's a little tempting to kind of to, to go there versus this God changed my life. I was a sinner and I'm not anymore. And now I'm walking in newness of life. And I'm ha- and this is this is a process. This is something that God is doing um, in my life. And yeah, it would. I, I mean, it would be great if it, I had a point in time that I could point to. But um, I know my heart that would tempt me to want to focus too much on that and not focus on what ha- when. Focus more on when this happened instead of what happened and what that means going forward. Ron? I was just going to say that, because I do think it's God's decree. In the, in that, yeah. That from our human experience, the way I translate that, and I'm not going to argue with somebody about, is that, you know, maybe the details if they want to go there, is that's when I had clarity and awareness yeah. of the depravity and that, and you had, you, it was like, it's more of an awareness mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, like when you wake up, when you when are you aware that you woke up? And did you wake up, or <laughs> did it happen because the sun came up? It's like who who are you trying to suggest is the cause of that? Yeah. So it's I think of it more as they were very aware for one of the first times. Yep. That had an impact on them. Yeah. And I I think it's just important to make sure that we're not overemphasizing the when as much as we're emphasizing <laughs> what happened to us and what that means for us going forward. So that's the interesting thing about regeneration is technically, like if we think about conversion, like the moment I say, Hey, this was the moment I believed Yeah, that even that person doesn't really know when they were regenerated. That's true. (laughs) Because they, they, the, the awareness that Ron's talking about, this awareness of our sin, Mm -hmm. it was, was probably a gradual, you know, thing. It wasn't just like, Oh, I'm a sinner, like in one second, Mm -hmm. you know? So yeah. like when we recognize like just the depth and the distance, it also to me makes sense why people are like, oh, I need to recommit or I need to yeah. again. It's like there can be moments where you just have more clarity of, wow, it's worse than I originally thought. Mm-hmm. And so it's like now I need to recommit now that I'm more aware. Yeah. No, you're just more aware. Keep going. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> Put your head down. Let's go. Yeah. Yes. And you know, with me, as you said, when you have that clarity, so it wasn't just one time that happened, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, uh, had the clear things that God intervened and His peace came. You know, it wasn't nothing me. It was He delivered. Yeah. He said that happened a few times. As soon as you come down again, the moment of things, and then that another time happened. Then right now, you know that you know. That he is there. Yeah. You know, will learn. It's something you look back on and it, see. Yeah. And clarity. then I know with him. And then as I was sitting, reminded when I went to buy my car, I mean, I was test driving it. He said, when you're going to, don't stop. Don't put your foot in the brake. Don't put your foot in the brake. Uh, uh, when you get into the car, it, it stop. I really I had a hard time like, to go him up with that thing today. So, so I didn't did it car stuff. So but I didn't my foot in the anytime I get I put my stuff, my foot on the brake. Because I was prevented the accident. But I said my faith, it was like God. God told me, I do this, I do that. Yeah. 
we try and then once you know we have to enter in you know yeah and now the more he help us he get involved with us the more do you know at the got back now i'm getting a start myself and listen to his satellite in the air and when the time change it will change mm-hmm. let me be oh, that already yeah i don't want to be that already yeah that's wonderful you mind if I get one more one yeah. more verse by Stephen yep. Green? Yep. He says it better than I just tried. I seek the bloom of holiness. He leads me deep within, reveals the hardness of my heart, unearths my hidden sin. My barren soul groans in despair. In brokenness I cry, O oh God, I find no hope in thee. A smile, his sweet reply. But where the tears of brokenness have soaked the fallow ground, the tender shoots of holiness now spring up all around. Amen. All right, Father, uh, thank you for this time together. Thank you for uh, this just sweet truth um, that our salvation was is is uh, is a sure thing because you've done it from start to finish. That we are justified um, because of what Christ has done for us, but also that you have come into our hearts. That you've placed your Spirit in our hearts and allow us to walk in your ways. We pray that we would do that more and more, that we would desire more and more uh, to give you glory in all that we do. We thank you for, um, again, this time. We pray that you'd be with us as we go to worship, that you would uh, open our hearts um, and and encourage us um, with your word, because we know that our spiritual growth is, um, is given to us through your word and through your spirit. So we thank you for this, and um, we pray that you'd be with us now. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.